0: Let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to be studying from Philippians chapter 3 and the first 11 verses there together. It says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and do not have confidence or put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew, born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness, that is of the, in the law, blameless. But everything that was a, a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Amen. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. So, today we're going to take a little bit of an excursus away from our study in the Gospel of John and take a little bit more of a focus in on the resurrection today as, for numerous reasons. One, of course, it is Easter. Normally we don't stop our series of preaching uh, for Easter, but considering all the things that we have faced over the last year, I just felt like it might be a good assignment for me this morning to, to take a moment and just center our hearts, center our minds on the resurrection for a few moments. And indeed, this passage that we're going to say this morning is not a traditional Resurrection Sunday passage, but I hope that you'll see why I've chosen it by the time we're finished here this morning. Because if the, la- if the last year or so has shown us anything, it has shown us that the world and maybe even some of us in here this morning, don't really know how to face our mortality. And because that is a struggle for many of us, sometimes we don't know what it means to really value the life God has given us and created us for. Let me just give you a couple examples from our current cultural moment, if you will indulge me. protecting and valuing the life of the unborn continues to come under incredible scrutiny incredible assault and we've even seen this in the last couple years over various state legislatures who have made abortion on demand that much quicker to embrace and receive and, and at will and that's not a political statement that's just a reality we're facing in the world we're in today and that abortion on demand diminishes life of the, the life of the unborn for mere convenience and a whim in many cases. Moving on into other areas that are continue to be among cultural debate is the issue of race and prejudice. And as important as this issue is and how much it continues to haunt our nation in which we live, We've reduced the conversation to intersectional um, identity politics, which in reality doesn't actually resolve the issue of racial issues, does it? It actually further divides the issue. It further splinters our world. This is how the world deals with life. This is how the world deals with pain and suffering and mortality. Devalue the unborn, devalue the skin of a color of, an, of, a, of, a, of our brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God. Let's continue. We know that we're told now that recently uh, a, a, a writer for CNN says that there's actually no scientific evidence to prove or determine someone's sex at birth. Rather than we treat the body in our world today and in our philosophy of the body as a glorified mr or mrs potato head with interchangeable parts depending on how we choose to deal with that regarding based on our own psychological affirmations and i read about a group recently called the urban death project maybe you don't know who they are but they're just kind of how are we dealing with all the death among humans within our urban core and whether it's violence or whatever and they have And as of a couple of years ago, they floated the idea of using human remains as fertilizer. This is how we deal with mortality in our world. We don't know how to value the life God has given us. We remain hopeless, and so we reduce the human body, the human mind, the human experience, down to convenience, a whim, interchangeable parts. And I don't say this smugly this morning. I really don't. I don't, sm- I don't even want to say this with any kind of sense of condemnation towards those who maybe hold some of these ideas. I'm saying it because my heart's broken because of what we see. Amen. And, I, and, I, and, and it seems to me sometimes, even the church sometimes, doesn't know how to deal with the, the issue of mortality in our world. And we, among of all people, should have a reason to deal and have a hope for our, our mortality because we have the resurrection. Amen. And, and, I, and I just want to make sure that that's, you understand that's the goal of where i want to go this morning because ideas have consequences our cultural ideas have consequences brothers ideas that inform this kind of hopeless and careless view of human life as we just listed out a moment, or our views of god's biological design are nothing more than than nihilism and if you don't know what nihilism is as well it's the philosophical other side of the coin of naturalism and naturalism is basically there's nothing in the world besides an amalgamation of cells and, and 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 tissue and chemical properties And therefore, nihilism says, well, then there is no inherent value. There is no inherent meaning or purpose. That's the driving philosophy and worldview of the world we live in. And we need to say clearly this morning, declare clearly this morning, that the resurrection says something entirely different. Right? That's what we want to remind ourselves of. So when I say this morning, I want to reflect on the resurrection, it is simply that, that I want us to take some time right here in the middle of 2021 and probably one of the most polarizing seasons of any of our lives. As you and I are facing the world and all the complications of the world and the complexities of the world, we need the simplicity of the resurrection once again. We need the plain and practical implications of the resurrection for the life of the church so that when we face this world of death, we go into the world with this echo of the resurrection from eternity that says life is the Lord's. That life is his and he is sovereignly uh, king over all of it and it's not left up to us mankind to manipulate it into whatever we want it to be we need the resurrection more today than we ever have in my estimation and that's why i'm taking time to talk about it so if i were to summarize the sermon in one sentence it would be this before we jump into philippians 3 it is the resurrection reminds us that our hope of rejoicing i'm taking this straight from the text That our hope of rejoicing is found in knowing Christ who has given us resurrection power to live life in this land of death. That's kind of the sermon in a sentence. So let's dig into that for a moment. Now here's the context. We're going to head into Philippians 3 and Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. He's in prison because he has... Done what he has been called to do, which is preach the gospel, and preaching the gospel has found does not always been is not always received very well, especially in certain parts of the Roman Empire. And so now he's finding himself in prison, writing letters of encouragement to his churches that he's helped plant, and particularly this Philippian church is one of the more noted ones. They're ones that were always coming to Paul's aid. And so they hear that Paul's in prison, they hear that Paul's fallen sick. And so they send him aid through one of their most trusted leaders, Epaphroditus. So this is all context prior to the letter. They send Epaphroditus to bring Paul some help from them, but it ends up that as Epaphroditus gets to visit with Paul, what happens? He spends time with them, and he he himself falls ill. And so this word gets back to the church, and the church now is in deep anguish because now not only Paul's suffering, but now their brother Epaphroditus is suffering. And they don't really know what to do with all of this death. They don't know what to do with all this sickness. They don't know what to do with all this suffering. They don't know what to do with all these trials. And yet, in the midst of that very trial, Paul takes his pen. He inscribes a letter, proverbially puts it in an envelope or a scroll or something, prints it to his right-hand man, Timothy, and says, take Epaphroditus back to the Philippi and encourage the brothers and sisters there with it. Amen. And we come to chapter 3, after Paul does all of his introductory material, and we find that Paul spends just really 11 verses just pointing them back to his hope in the resurrected Christ. And that this hope in the resurrected Christ produces really four things. Rejoicing. Two, it produces, uh, it produces um, uh, understanding of the insufficiency of our own selves. And three, it, produces a, it reminds us of the all-surpassing surpassing value of Jesus. And then lastly, we'll see, it reminds us that we have hope to carry on. So let's just take those three things, and I won't really handle them pretty briefly, This morning, the resurrection of Christ reminds us, number one, to rejoice. This is what he says here in verse one. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. When was the last time someone asked you and told you, rejoice, right in the middle of your terrible day, rejoice in the Lord. Do you have reason? Do I have reason to rejoice this morning? And the answer is absolutely yes right we have we have a reason to rejoice because number one as paul even says here and and again i'm not going to spend time going back and giving you a lot of context here just take my word for it he's showing them that god is absolutely sovereign over the affairs of our lives and he demonstrates that by pinning a letter to them putting in the hands of timothy and sending epaphroditus back to him and saying see god's in control that's what we see in chapter two see god's in control that God's in control of our very lives, the very moments, the very minutes, the very seconds that you and I take away. And whether or not God gives us one more second, one more minute, one more year, one more decade, one more century to live. He, it, it's his to give. Amen. And friends, I just want to grasp the, the real like, meat of this just for a moment. That the resurrected Christ that Paul is taking hope in and causes this Philippian church to, to, to take To to rejoice in is proof that god commands all things even death your death your suffering your trials my trials that, that that life in spite of all the things that you and i will suffer with whether it be disease or trials or suffering or persecution or whatever it may be life and the body have intrinsic value to god because of the resurrection it proves i love life god says because I'll raise it. In other words, our bodies have more value than ultimately becoming mulch. We need to remind ourselves that it's not a promise that we won't face death. It's not a promise that we won't face trials, but it is a promise that even when we do, Christ will raise us from the dead. Does that make sense? Are you, are, you, are you rolling with me through this? Because it's right here that we find that the resurrection isn't just a future hope. It's actually hope for right now. Amen. Right? It's not just something that we can put our hope into and then we just kind of then kind of glibly kind of roll through life. But it's actually hope for right now. And this is what Paul says in several passages. He's, he helps us remind, he helps remind us of that the very resurrected Christ, his power flows right through our veins here this morning. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples of that. There is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14. And he says just as much here, for we know that the one who was raised the Lord Jesus, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything in our is unto our benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. So, that in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your trials, in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of 2020, in the middle of 2021, and whatever areas areas that tend to grab our attention and struggle with, we can find that our suffering is for the glory of God. Right now, because you know why? We're going to be raised in the end. They're very. Power of the resurrected Christ flows through his veins. He says this much again in Romans chapter 6, which will become even more beautiful here in the second service because it talks about baptism. He picks up in verse 4 of chapter six, Romans 6. Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. The very resurrected Christ... And his power flows through the veins of God's people by faith. Friends, this morning, you need to walk out of here with that as your anthem. No matter what you're going to face this week, whatever difficulties, frustrations, whatever it may be, we need that to be the anthem of the church's life. Friends, this is astoundingly good news. Because what it reminds us is that the suffering and trials don't get the last say, do they not? It tells us that our failures, and there are numerous failures in this movement this morning, right? Our failures don't get the last say. That a hopeless culture of death doesn't get the last say. Jesus reminded his own disciples when he would tell them the cost of following him. And he reminded them near the end of his ministry saying, all the world can take from you is your body. They can't take your soul. And then later on reminds them, I am the resurrection and life. And you will rise with Christ as I will rise with Christ with glorified bodies, triumphant. This is what Paul gets at. Again, just more passages that we just want to reflect on this morning. In in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the, the kind of preeminent resurrection passage. Let me just read verses 50 through 58 for you this morning. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When the corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Friends, more than ever, the church needs to remind itself, ourselves of the hope of the resurrection as we live in this culture that is obsessed with death, that doesn't know how to value life. They can reduce the unborn children to the whims and conveniences of the parent. It can reduce race to into to, 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 in, to, individual uh, uh identity politics it can reduce our sexuality and our gender and our biological makeup to just interchangeable parts when we say the resurrection is true we are saying with all our hearts that god has a better plan Amen. and then even when i suffer in the bodies that are suffering right here in front of you in front of me this morning death has no sting second remembrance. The resurrected Christ reminds us, number two, of the insufficiency of human righteousness. Paul goes on and he says he rejoices. Why? And he goes right into this like alarm. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he says, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put our confidence in the flesh. And so he stops and he says, you have reason to rejoice. Why? Well, you have reason to rejoice because you are the circumcision of God. Now, why is that important for us this morning? Because there exists in every human being, especially those outside of Christ, but even sometimes still wrestling with it in ourselves today until Christ returns, there's this confidence in each of us that seeks to what? To generate a kind of um, autonomous self. That really what really matters is that I achieve my full potential. And so, listen. This is not new with in, in our age today. This was very much the very same thing that Jews were struggling with then. They would take their circumcision, they would take the law, and they would say it was really about me. It was really about me achieving all that God wants me to achieve, and me earning all my righteousness, and me earning all my standing before God. It's no different. We just changed the data in between, change the narrative a little bit. But this is exactly what Paul is talking about here. And he says these are dogs. These dogs are the Jews who took the, circumcision, the right of circumcision and, and, and keeping the law, and they used it for their own righteousness. They used it to try to show God that they were worthy. But circumcision was never a sign, was a sign, I'm sorry, circumcision was a sign that God, um, was a sign God gave, not a right the Jews were to use for their righteous standing before God, that it was a sign of grace to, um, that he, God gave to Abraham, not because Abraham had accomplished anything, but because he believed. He believed in what God had done. And this, again, this is no different than what we do today. We just, do it, we just change the data a little bit, change the information, change the story a little bit, that when we take God's good gifts... And we strip them down of their intrinsic value we turn them into things that make us feel good us feel self-important us achieving the autonomous self if you will and paul responds to this errant way in which jews were using the, circumc- the right of circumcision the right of, of of keeping the law and he says no 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 verse three we are the circumcision Why? Now, why is it important that he's connecting these two dots? Because he's saying, look, this was a gift of grace, and circumcision was always a point to Christ, that you're included in Christ's kingdom. And the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, he says, boast in Christ, and do not put confidence in the flesh. In other words, what he is saying is that, hey, if the law and the circumcision were means by which I could establish my own righteousness before God. Brothers and sisters, Paul says here for, from verses 4 through 7, I could have done that. I'm not going to reread that whole passage here, but he goes through this whole litany of his own, his own street cred, his own resume. He was a superior Israelite. I don't think many of us in here feel like we're superior Christians, do we? But Paul knew. He did it all. He, he, I mean, he, he, he didn't cut corners. And he's simply reminding them that I tried it and I failed. because I never had my, it kept me from seeing Jesus and His accomplishments, and that's where he gets to in verse seven, "But everything was that I was gained to me, again, from his old life, he considers now a loss because of Christ. In other words, Christ alone was his gain. Friends, Christ alone is our gain. Stop looking for our, to ourselves for gain. Stop looking to ourselves for hope. Stop looking to whatever thing we look to in the world that says, that's going to be where my hope's going to come from. Whoa, Christ alone is your hope, He is your only gain. Do you understand and what that does for me from a very applicable place is that it frees me it frees you from looking to God and his good gifts whatever those gifts may be as nothing more than just means for self-actualization I stop manipulating things God gives to me in order to try to establish my own means of righteousness my own means of identity The world's looking so desperately for identity right now. And Jesus says, I am your identity. And I died to prove it and I raised to give it power. This is what the resurrection of Christ means to us this morning. And and, and even more practically, it helps me and perhaps it helps you. I hope it helps you. Be free from playing super Christian. Super Christian is... Look, the Christian life is hard. It requires a lot. Let's not minimize that. It is hard work. But Christ, and knowing that he is our only gain, if it freed Paul from worrying about his standing before God, it can free us from us worrying about our standing before God, and we can can embrace the Christian life with all of its difficulty with total abandon. That when I don't get everything right, God's not mad at me. Christ absorbed the, the wrath of God for me and that if I don't quite always live up to being the kind of husband I want to be or the kind of dad I want to be that I'm that I'm not going to completely make a shipwreck of my life or my family's life that doesn't mean that we don't take seriously the hard work of being godly fathers and wives and children but what it means is Christ is at the helm He's in charge of it. Third reflection that goes along with this is that the resurrection of Christ reminds us of the all-surpassing value of knowing Christ. If Christ was his gain, here's where Paul picks up in verse 8, more than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. And man, you've got to love this frankness here. Consider them as dung. Paul was a little bit of an off-color dude. <laughs> this would not like we, we tend to kind of shy away from these things in the American church, do we not? But here's Frank. But he wants those Philippian believers to know what he has learned in his own life, that he has a life in the resurrected Christ, and everything else amounts to a big old pile of dung. I'm sorry if that offends your sensibilities, but I'm, this is Paul here, y'all. This is tough. Friends, look, it is utter futility to try to find ultimate joy and ultimate respite in other means when Christ himself is the only sufficient means to it. Now, don't misunderstand me. God gives us a life that we should enjoy. God gives us a life with wonderful, profoundly beautiful gifts, if we're not careful, those gifts can supplant the joy and refreshment that can only be found in Christ. And friends, we see that all the time. We even see this in the church, and, and we just need to put our, put our put our thumb on it, our finger on it for a few moments. Like, look, I, most of you guys know this. I'm a big, like, sports guy. We love athletics in our home. We love outdoor recreation. We love this kind of stuff. And these are wonderfully great and beautiful gifts that God gives us. But all too more we kind of supplant the goodness of god's means of grace for those types of things you know what i mean like we'll take the lord's day and be like well you know i don't have to go to church because really the church i am the church so i don't really have to go to church and so we kind of play that little little game so then we can go justify our little recreations on the side no christ is, has, is of all surpassing worth to us We, we love family activities i when i was a kid man we I, I was we were really close to my family my extended family we it was it was a rare month that would go by when we didn't have a big gathering at my grandmother's house and all my uncles and cousins would come in and we were all ran around together i was one on the younger end of the cousins in terms of age and we would just have a good time together and we enjoyed it but they usually consumed a lot of our weekends and sometimes the lord's day and i didn't really grow up in church except for very sporadically and, and and it showed it showed it was late in my life when god began to change that and began to call me to himself and, and it's not just sundays it's, it's it's the goodness of congregational participation right like being a part of a group or being a part of men that you get together with and have coffee with or women getting doing the same thing or enjoying that company of other believers who who are there to sharpen you and care for you and help you move forward because that's our family now because even jesus himself says it quite bluntly when 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 a believer when a guy would come to jesus and say hey let me go bury my father first and jesus says something incredibly crass just like paul does here let the buried bury let the dead bury the dead is he saying that you shouldn't enjoy your family no of course not but he's saying listen i am and these brothers and sisters are your new family Yes, go on vacations time to time. Yes, do some of these other things from time to time. But make sure that the supremacy and the all-surpassing value of knowing Christ is our aim. Because it's a promise to us in the resurrection. See, Paul quite clearly calls any means to make life purposeful apart from Christ. Dung. Even good things. Even good things. The resurrection proves that Christ is superior to all other joys, all other comforts, all other satisfactions that we may find in this life. And, but it, but it does something else too, though. It actually infuses real life and comfort and joy in the things that are good when they're used appropriately. Because they're given to us by God. Third and last reflection. The resurrected Christ reminds us of the hope we have as we live this life of death. The resurrected Christ reminds us of the hope we have as we live this life of death. Look at verses 10 and 11. My goal, then, Paul says, this is, where, this is the big crescendo right here that he's trying to get at. This is why you should rejoice, In like what he says in verse 1. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. It's like so much of our life can be can leave us feeling powerless, right? So much of this life can let us feel helpless. Because we want to see so much real change in our life but sometimes it's just like we get a little helpless in that and as christians and that's because as christians we should feel more and more out of step with the prevailing values of our world because we know of a better more final and more beautiful final destination that we are in route for But even as we hope in the future of the resurrection, as I mentioned earlier, we are assured of our present power of the resurrection right here and right now and that's exactly what Paul says, my goal in knowing him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. What Paul is saying there is that the resurrection is shining through our fellowship with Christ's sufferings. It means your suffering matters. It matters to a, death and, a dead and dying world. It's okay to embrace that suffering. It's okay to understand that that's a real close friend throughout this life. That's what it is. The world will be blind oftentimes, and most of the time of the resurrected power that resides in God's people, but Paul wants to remind us that perseverance has power; is powered by the resurrection. Our perseverance is powered by the resurrection. So let's finish up. Friends, this morning, as we leave here, let our anthem be that Romans 6, verse 4, that we are to walk in newness of life because we are in Christ. We do this all our days, that we remember the resurrection for all our days. Can you just imagine whatever it's been, close some 2,000 years ago now, or more the disciples woke up on the, on, a, on on that sunday morning that very first easter with with no hope their sisters had went down here to take care of the, the body and it would be later on in the afternoon when they would get word that something amazing has happened but they woke up that morning with dreams lost and and plans shot and grief and sorrow and And some of the people who've been following Jesus had denied Him, and some had betrayed Him, and some had scattered. And and they wondered what the future would hold when they woke up on that Sunday morning. Living in our day can feel a lot like that as we wait for the second resurrection. But we know, just like the disciples, this is not the end. This is not the end. We have the glorious news that we get the privilege of each and every Sunday while Jesus tarries of Resurrection Sunday to be reminded Christ is risen. Church, say it with me. He is risen indeed. God, help us this morning as we now turn to the Lord's table and be served well and be encouraged from this table this morning as Josh comes to lead us there.